Hi, this is Kendall Boyson, professional life and recovery coach, and you're listening to Encouragementology, the practice of instilling hope. Hi there. Thanks for joining me. On this show, we're making eye contact and exploring deeper as we look in the mirror to see past the reflection. Maybe you have all the confidence a person could exude, top of your game, celebrating you in your own skin. But chances are, as tough as you present yourself to be, there are times when weakness wins and self-doubt and criticism creep in. Some of the strongest people you may think you know are dealing with self-esteem issues that are at times crippling. Following the mottos, never let them see you sweat, and always put your best foot forward, these struggles can be private and lonely. Suffering in silence and desperately seeking self-love. Today, we're coming clean, being honest with ourselves and showing a bit of vulnerability. Today, we're going deeper and looking for more. Ready to shroud the reflection until you're able to accept the truth? This can be a heavy subject. I mean, self-love is kind of complicated. To some, it may sound like this utopia or mirage, something we should all be striving for but secretly know we'll never get there. It can also feel like a blanket statement. You need to love yourself. What does that really mean? Not to be too practical, but Goal setting is only successful if you can create goals that are meaningful to you, are something you're truly interested in pursuing, and have some level of attainability. Shouldn't self-love be the same? Maybe we need to get more specific. In order to do that, we need to see where our hang-ups lie. Pushing against the idea you either love or hate yourself. Maybe it's more granular than that. You love certain aspects, aren't fond of others, and downright loathe a few. Does that about sum it up? Just like there are so many angles to a reflection, let's not hit this topic from just head on. Dr. Shana Alley gets us started with an important perspective, what self-love isn't, four concepts that you're confusing with self-love. This was found at psychologytoday.com. All too often, we seek love from others before looking within. However, many are beginning to turn the focus inward as they contemplate the meaning and purpose of self-love. Although not a new term, the concept of self-love has been gaining popularity in recent years. Many are beginning to recognize the relationship between self-love and mental wellness. People are questioning the circumstances in which we may even need love from ourselves as much and perhaps even more than we do from others. Oftentimes, during this assessment, self-love criticism arises. These appraisals are based on misunderstandings. To help clarify, let's clear up what self-love is not. It is not entitlement. When a person has a sense of entitlement, they may believe that they are unconditionally owed something regardless of efforts, merit, or context. This should not be confused with the idea of recognizing your worth. Depending on your perspective on humility and deservingness, 
you may find it difficult to assert you are worthy of self-love. If this is the case, it may be helpful to consider basic human needs. One could argue that compassion, care, and acceptance are as fundamental as water, food, or shelter. Recognize that your worth and your need for self-love overall is not that ridiculous to seek. Self-love isn't about why you deserve a billion dollars, a fancy yacht, or a mansion. It isn't an overtly ambitious jump. It isn't elite or exclusive, but a core aspect of humanity. Self-love is not selfishness. Focusing on self-love is not the pathway to obsession. Although self-love is a reflective process in which one turns their energy inward, the benefits are not selfish. In actuality, in order to care for others effectively, one must care for themselves. Prior to taking off on an airplane, remember that flight attendant, she ensures flyers that in case an emergency, regardless of who is nearby, it's critical to first put on your own oxygen mask before helping others. We wouldn't dare tell someone who abides by this regulation that they're being selfish. Remember, you can't pour from an empty cup. Self-focus is not egocentric. Ultimately, self-focus helps you help others. Whereas narcissism may be superficial and vain, self-love is quite the opposite. Self-love delves beyond the surface and isn't all rainbows and unicorns along the way. Along with recognizing your worth, needs, and goals, self-love requires the courage to distinguish your weaknesses, challenges, and obstacles. Self-love necessitates humility, empathy, and concern for the self as well as others. Self-love is not sinful. A sin is an act that is not only inappropriate, but often violent. Self-love is just the opposite. Self-love isn't meant to go against a principle or moral grounding. It is the enlightened journey to care for yourself in order to prompt a domino effect of care and compassion for those around you. Nevertheless, due to varying concepts of what self-love truly entails, from time to time, individuals may view self-love as being against their values and beliefs. Just as everyone is unique, their interpretation of scripture may vary as well. If you're struggling with differentiating self-love from sin, it may be helpful for you to research and reflect on whether or not it truly conflicts. Regardless of your faith or belief system, it may be worthwhile to consider the commonalities in various world religions. Oftentimes, the task encapsulated with being a moral person includes benevolence, forgiveness, and personal growth, all of which align well with the practice of self-love. More specifically, the golden rule of treating ourselves as you want to be treated is the essence of self-love. From this common adage, we often jump to the lesson to treat others kindly, but we should not forget the implication that it requires being kind to ourselves as well. 
Self-love is not an excuse. Self-love is an active, engaged process that invokes a wealth of positive benefits. The journey is not always easy, though. A critical component in self-love is recognizing your limits, needs, and worth and asserting intrapersonal and interpersonal boundaries as needed to uphold them. While this all-encompassing process may include mental health days, massages, and indulging in your favorite home-cooked meal, it is not an exploitation of all things good. Perpetual pampering could actually be neglectful and hence distinct from self-love. The full process of self-love includes the good, the bad, and the ugly. Beyond the stereotypically positive perks, self-love also includes the decision to recognize your areas for growth, tailoring a potentially difficult yet necessary plan of attack, and bravely tackling it head-on. To an outsider without context, self-love could appear as an excuse. However, it's critical that you don't use self-love as your hall pass to escape responsibility, accountability, and difficult situations in general. True self-love can be enacted by taking accountability and responsibility as you courageously embark on your path. The process of self-love begins with the mere task of being able to appreciate you for you. It's critical to be kind and considerate towards yourself. Self-love is more than a sentiment. Beyond your ability to tend to yourself, you must remember that self-love is an intentional practice to learn and cultivate. Self-love provides you with the opportunity to see yourself completely to recognize and value your strengths and weaknesses, triumphs, and challenges. With an emphasis on the self, this journey is ultimately an independent one. Although it's helpful to unite with others who are on a similar path, like a support group, a group of friends, at the end of the day, self-growth is predominantly dependent on a personal effort. The process of loving oneself is a subjective experience. Honor your individuality as you find your definition of self-love. Sometimes we get self-love and self-care intertwined to the point that we confuse a long bubble bath and a pedicure with mental health and happiness. More petties, fewer pity parties. Now, don't get me wrong. A good soak for your feet or your whole self is not a bad thing and does lead to relaxation and a warm, happy feeling. But remember, we're looking past the reflection and going deeper. There's more that makes up this recipe of natural self-love, the love of yourself, mind, body, and spirit. The unique characteristics that make you, you. Your special gifts, points of view, and deep-seated morals. Not as easy as it sounds, but anything worth having is going to take some effort. Independent IE echoes this same sentiment in their article, Love Thyself, Practicing Self-Love Isn't As Easy As It Sounds. Louise Hay, author of the best-selling You Can Heal Your Life and founder of publishing company Hay House, died when she was 90 years old. 
As one of the most prominent figures in the self-development movement, Hay wrote dozens of books and dispensed plenty of wisdom, yet her philosophy almost always came back to the transformative power of self-love. As she said herself, I found that there's only one thing that heals every problem, and that is to love yourself. Self-love is far from a revolutionary idea, especially in the era of Instagram motivational maxims and because-you're-worth-it type advertising. The popularized, commercialized version of self-love promotes long bubble baths and hot stone massages and suggests that loving yourself is something you can put on your to-do list or an attitude you can embrace while on holiday. Unfortunately, it isn't that easy. Radical self-love isn't just occasional self-indulgence. It's a state of mind that can only be cultivated by deep, daily inner work. We may tell ourselves that booking a monthly massage is self-love, but it's something else entirely if it's designed to counteract the effects of pushing the body too hard through overwork. You can post the, if you can't handle me at my worst... Marilyn Monroe quote on your Facebook page, but it becomes more a statement than a state of mind if you continue to hold on to self-doubt and self-judgment. There is often a vast gulf between our inner lives and our outer appearance when it comes to the practice of self-love. We may book spa breaks and treat ourselves to fancy things, but it's worth examining the inner conflict that can arise when we indulge ourselves. Are you spoiling yourself because it seems to be the right thing to do or because you truly believe that you deserve it? Remember, you've been criticizing yourself for years and it hasn't worked. This wrote Hay in You Can Heal Your Life. Try approving yourself and see what happens. It's also worth examining your core beliefs about self-criticism. Do you believe that you have to be your own tough taskmaster in order to get things done? I found in my research that the biggest reason people aren't more self-compassionate is that they're afraid they'll become self-indulgent. This says self-compassion researcher Dr. Kristen Neff. They believe self-criticism is what keeps them in line. Most people have gotten it wrong because our culture says being hard on yourself is the way to be. Of course, we can be hard on ourselves in many more subtle yet persistent ways. When we truly practice self-love, we have to examine our capacity for self-sabotage. Alan Watts believed that the opposite of self-love is self-destruction. Because you won't take the risk of loving yourself properly, he wrote, you will be compelled instead to destroy yourself. The trouble is that just like self-love, we don't understand the complexities and nuances of self-sabotage. Just as self-love isn't as simple as putting on a face mask and relaxing in a bathtub, self-sabotage isn't always a foot-to-the-floor death instinct. Self-sabotage can manifest as a fear of failure or a fear of success, catastrophizing, procrastinating, quitting, and refusing to forgive both ourselves and others. It can also rear its head as two-day hangover or a week-long food binge. 
you'll notice that we are less likely to partake in those behaviors when we're pursuing our passions and living our most authentic lives. Hay advises readers to think thoughts that make you happy. Do things that make you feel good. Be with people who make you feel good. Eat things that make your body feel good. Go at a pace that makes you feel good. It's not an exact definition of self-love, but it comes close. Remember, radical self-love isn't a bumper sticker or a fridge magnet saying. It's a paradigm shift that is challenging as it is rewarding. examine the relationship we have both with ourselves and others, just as we have to look at the people, places, and things that we surround ourselves with and the choices, habits, and vices that we may have holding us back. When you dare to love yourself as if you were a rainbow with gold at both ends, you also have to be willing to ask yourself some uncomfortable questions. Why do you feel like you don't deserve a healthy, loving relationship? Why do you feel like you don't deserve success or happiness? Why do you feel unworthy? How do you begin to grow your self-esteem? This was asked of Hay. You start by recognizing that you deserve to be loved. You deserve to love yourself. Hay describes self-love as a seed that grows if you water it. Yet it will only grow if it's watered every day. Thank you, Louise, for the reminder that self-love doesn't just fall in your lap. And days when you're feeling extra kind to yourself can be easily overshadowed by bad days where you can do no right. In walks mindful, that wonderful reminder that to notice, reflect, and appropriately respond is a practice that you have to exercise daily. I just started growing a garden. I know, I know, I'm a little late to the game. I always have had that self-proclaimed black thumb, realizing air plants don't in fact eat air. Did you know that? They still need water to survive. I mean, who knew? At any rate, I'm excited by this newfound adventure of growing my own healthy and organic food. The packet of seeds is where it all starts. Each little individual seed is planted in the earth, spaced out with room to grow. From here, it takes nurturing, cooperating, i.e. sun and rain and decent temperatures. But it also takes me filling in the gaps, noticing when they're dry, attracting bugs, getting overshadowed by weeds, or plucked up by a bunny. Most importantly, patience. Some will pop through the soil faster than others. Some will be hardy, and some will take more time and care. Some will yield produce, and some won't make it at all. How will I adjust my process to produce a better outcome next time? Now, of course, we aren't talking about plants and gardening, but you can see that patience, care, mindfulness, modification, and commitment are all necessary and can be applied to all biomarkers on your journey. At this point, you're sitting there thinking, I'm ready to move into problem-solving mode, right? 
What can we do to cultivate more love for ourselves? Nurture our seeds to produce a healthy crop. Well, remember, gardening is patience. First, Tara explains what the mirror can teach you about yourself. Advice from a mirror-gazing expert found on mindful.org. Mirrors can evoke strong feelings in us, and they can also be incredibly powerful tools for changing our perspective and seeing parts of ourselves that are usually hidden as we look out into the world. Our desire to be seen and reflected is basic and innate. As children, we learn to understand ourselves through the reflections of those around us. In fact, psychologists have found that face-to-face contact is essential for our social and emotional development. Please, let's not lose that. As we spend more time alone and on our devices, we miss out on this social reflection. Through the mirror, we can come face-to-face with ourselves at any time. Tara says, a practice that I've developed using a mirror mindfully in meditation can help uncover kinder self-awareness and strengthen our resilience to meet life's challenges. Hmm. Learning to tune into your image will not turn you into a towering narcissist. Quite the opposite. You'll learn to stay present with yourself, manage the intensity of your emotions, and tap into a new inner strength. In fact, kinder self-awareness is the key to breaking free from the inner critic and the external world that strokes our fears and anxieties that we're never safe, never good enough, and never have enough. What can you learn about yourself by looking at yourself? Well, Tara says, When I was a little girl, I used to look at myself in the side of the shiny chrome toaster on the table, entranced by the expressions that crossed over my face, sometimes exaggerating them and imitating the adults around me. Looking at my own reflection filled me with the amusement and curiosity, and it helped me understand and express emotions. I was able to see how I felt and what I looked like while I was feeling it. This seemed to soothe me and was somehow affirming. As I grew older, I learned, like most of us do, to use the mirror to monitor my appearance and critique it based on cultural standards of beauty, finding endless flaws and imperfections. Occasionally, I'd rest my gaze for just a moment and look into my eyes. Who was I? How was I really feeling? One day, I caught a glimpse of my face in the mirror and was shocked by how sad and distressed I looked. I'd barely realized I felt that way, thinking I felt fine. I came to realize that I'd been cultivating an image of myself that I thought would be pleasing to other people, and in the process... I'd lost touch with how I felt inside. Tara says, I began to take time to look at my reflection in the mirror, not to focus on my appearance or to imagine how I look to others, but to simply acknowledge myself and to get in touch with how I felt. In doing this over time, I found a way to look past the imperfections of my appearance and see deeper into my own eyes with compassion. It became a meditation a way to simply be present with no goal other than to be there with myself. Simply setting a time every day to give myself my own undivided attention became a precious escape from my busy life. I looked forward to having the time to simply rest and relax in my own presence. But it wasn't an exercise of self-adoration. I didn't sit there blowing kisses at myself. 
Rather, it was a check-in to see how I was feeling about myself, my appearance, my emotions, and the various running dramas in my life. My face revealed a lot, and some of it wasn't easy to see. I disciplined myself to look at myself regardless of how I was feeling or how many distractions there were in my life. After doing this mirror meditation for at least 10 minutes a day over a year, I noticed a profound difference, and others did too. Over time, I learned to approach myself in a way that felt neutral, accepting, and kind, and became less self-conscious about my appearance in the process. I also came to use the mirror to manage day-to-day stress and distractions. Instead of searching outside myself for people, places, and things that would distract me from negative emotions or self-criticism, I used the mirror to face myself and ground myself by simply looking into my own eyes with compassion. I found the mirror was a great way to work out my emotions too. When I was struggling with negative feelings and there was no one who could lend a compassionate ear, or I just didn't want to upset anyone or say anything I'd regret. The mirror became a powerful reflector of my own pain and suffering. The mirror offered a perspective that I couldn't see from inside my own head. I saw myself in a way that was often just too raw and vulnerable to share with others. Looking in the mirror, I was often flooded with a feeling of compassion and appreciation for how much I do and how hard I try. Instead of relying on affirmations from others or validation from whatever I was currently defining as success, I simply acknowledged myself unapologetically with love and compassion. I didn't have to do anything. I was worthy of love and compassion by simply being. My motives for connecting with others are clear. It was less about getting them to see me and validate me and think I was wonderful and more about discovering who they truly are and what they're communicating beyond their words. Occasionally, my inner critic would erupt. Isn't this a bit narcissistic? Aren't you being selfish? Shouldn't you be focusing on helping others less fortunate instead of looking at yourself in the mirror? When I stop to really consider these critics and ask myself, how mirror gazing influenced my relationships and general approach to life, I found it had, in fact, created a profound shift. But the irony was that by making time to see myself in the mirror, I was actually more interested in making deeper connections with others, not less. My motives for connecting with others was clear. It was less about getting them to see me and validate me and think I was wonderful and more about discovering who they truly are and what they're communicating beyond their words. A common saying is that there are two sides of a conversation, talking and waiting to talk. In the urgency to be seen and acknowledged and understood, we can completely miss each other. By seeing ourselves, we can practice self-compassion about our own needs and build our capacity to see others with compassion. Tara said, the mirror became such a useful tool for me that I wanted to share it with others. For the last seven years, I've been teaching mirror meditation. 
By combining mirror gazing with the principles of mindful meditation, students meditate on their own reflection. At first, most people seem very awkward and self-conscious. Their face tense, eyes harsh, and critical as they look at themselves, adjusting this or that. Then as they share what they're experiencing, I guide them to look beyond their surface appearance, put aside their habitual stories, and take a deeper look at themselves. Tara said, I invite them to see themselves as the person who is suffering instead of the object of their criticism. They're able to shift their attention from seeing their imperfections to seeing themselves as the sufferer and the creator of the suffering in the mirror. Something clicks. Usually by the end of the session, their faces soften and other times they seem calmer and more self-accepting, kinder to themselves and more trusting in their own experiences. Sometimes their changes have been quite miraculous. Many have reported deep insights into how they see themselves and how it influences their lives by simply taking the time to give themselves their full attention, allowing people to cut through their self-delusions and develop kinder and more accurate self-awareness. Some have found it to be a powerful tool to support their programs of personal development, as in psychotherapy, life coaching, addiction recovery, and life transition support groups. As the work continued, Tara said, I asked my mirror gazing students to describe in their own words any changes they noticed from doing the meditation. The mirror revealed just how much their criticism was affecting them because you could see it on their face. First, they became aware of just how much they criticized themselves, whether it was their appearance or some other aspect of themselves that they habitually found unacceptable. The mirror brought it to light. And the mirror revealed just how much their criticisms was affecting them. And you could see it all over their face. They had a choice and a practice to treat themselves with more acceptance and compassion. The mirror also reflected their facial expressions. So they were much more aware of how they were feeling moment to moment, which at first was a bit shocking for many. Some became more aware of emotions they typically avoided, like fear, anger, or disgust. They found that their capacity to feel and accept a broader range of emotions increased from doing the meditation. And lastly, many noticed a positive impact on their relationship, which might seem a bit counterintuitive. They became much more aware of how they were seeing others and being seen. It seems that by practicing giving themselves their full attention and learning how to be with themselves through uncomfortable emotions, they were able to be more present with others and their relationships deepened. So why is mirror gazing so powerful and effective? Tara said, as I delved into the neuroscience and psychology research, the pieces of the puzzle came together. Research tells us that we need face-to-face -face contact to develop a sense of self, to manage our emotions, and to develop empathy for others. We come to understand who we are through others' reflections of us. And in seeing their faces, we learn how they feel and how we feel in turn. We practice modulating our expressions moment to moment based on their reactions to us. This is the foundation for learning to regulate our emotions and navigate complex social situations. 
As we spend time alone and on our devices, we miss out on the face-to-face reflection that helps us stay emotionally connected to others and ourselves. The mirror can be a valuable tool for maintaining that connection. The mirror reflects the quality of the relationship we have with ourselves. Tara said, in my work, it has been astonishing to see how unkind people can be to themselves without even realizing it. The mirror reflects our self-criticism with exquisite accuracy, and then mirror meditation provides a choice and a practice to treat ourselves with kindness. Okay, Tara, I for one am going to take this challenge. It truly is a challenge for me. There are so many things I appreciate about myself. My laugh, as obnoxious as it may sound to others, it's genuine and it comes from the heart. I love that I find a lot of things humorous, including myself. I like my smile for some of the same reasons. I smile a lot because I'm engaged and intrigued or amused. I'm curious and enjoy connecting and encouraging. All these things bring out my smile, which is a window to my soul. I love my curious mind, the way it cares, observes, problem solves, and prompts my body to take action. It lights up when I can brainstorm, especially with others. I like my courage and the fact that I'm bold. I approach everything I do with the mindset that I do have the ability it takes to succeed. I'm not afraid to try and fail, and I appreciate that my failures provide motivation instead of crushing my bold spirit. I'm tough on myself when it comes to my body and my lack of motivation to push it harder. I'm a firm believer that if you want something, you have to make it happen instead of willing it to do so. Yet, each morning, I stare at myself with harsh judgment and shame. I brought three beautiful souls into this world, but instead of celebrating that miracle when I look at myself, I only see what happened as a result. Shallow? Well, sure. Normal? You betcha. I heard a joke once. A woman looks into a mirror and sees all her flaws. Lines on her face, lackluster hair, sagging skin, dark circles. A man looks into a mirror and sees another man waving back at him. (laughs) Okay, so who's ready for some resolution? Me, me, me. Darlene Lancer bails us out with seven ways to cultivate self-love found in psychcentral.com. Cultivating self-love is a worthwhile endeavor for ourselves and to have happier relationships. Science has shown these remarkable benefits associated with love. Better stress management, better sleep, better heart health, longer lives, improved self-esteem, greater happiness, lowered risk of depression. We're all born innocent and worthy of love. Our flaws, mistakes, and things that happen to us affect us, but not who we are which is inherent. Once we understand this, we can begin changing our self-concept and nurturing our real self. Love is like a garden we need to fertilize and cultivate. To fully give and receive love, we must first pull the weeds that sabotage it. We ward off invading pests in the form of toxic relationships and welcome animals that protect and help our garden grow. Your mind is a garden. Your thoughts are the seeds. You can grow flowers or you can grow weeds. Self-acceptance. What we resist persists. 
When we don't accept ourselves, we strengthen a negative self-concept. Low self-esteem is self-reinforcing, making change and self-acceptance difficult. Self-forgiveness. What we did is not who we are. Staying in self-blame and self-condemnation is harmful. On the other hand, guilt can motivate us to change and reach out to others. Great healing is possible with confession, self-forgiveness, and amends. Overcoming guilt releases us from the past and the person we once were. It paves the way for transformation, wholeness, self-respect, and self-love. Self-appreciation. After pulling the weeds, we must nourish our garden with self-appreciation. Our mind does not distinguish between praise coming from others or our own words and thoughts. Do you focus on your shortcomings and deny or take for granted your positive attributes? Inventory your strengths, accomplishments, loving qualities, acts of courage, and your desire to give, love, and grow. Self-expression. Whether due to growing up in a dysfunctional family system or trauma later in life, when we deny painful emotions, we actually block positive ones as well. When we block pain, we can't feel joy. We close our hearts and numb ourselves. Loving actions. When we ignore, hide, or discount our need and wants, we become irritable, resentful, and unhappy. But fulfilling our needs and wants is an act of self-love that lifts our spirits. It's a key to happiness that claims and revitalizes us. Practicing gratitude. Gratitude is a high vibration that opens our hearts. It's been scientifically proven to be healing. Practice gratitude by looking for things in your life and in the world to be grateful for. Write a daily gratitude list and read it to someone else. Self-love visualizations. You can enhance love and visualization. Breathe in and out of the center of your chest. Imagine it opening a door or a flower. Picture pink or green light flowing in and out as you breathe. Focus on beauty and things you're grateful for. Say loving affirmations. Send this love to those who you care about, to yourself, and to those in need. Practice expressing love and compassion in all aspects of your life to experience greater peace and joy. As we come to a close, here are the key highlights of the show. Number one, all too often we seek love from others before looking within. Number two, a critical component in self-love is recognizing your limits, needs, and worth and asserting intrapersonal and interpersonal boundaries as needed to uphold them. Number three, I found that there is only one thing that heals every problem, and that is to love yourself. Number four, remember, radical self-love isn't a bumper sticker or a fridge magnet saying. It's a paradigm shift that is as challenging as it is rewarding. Number five, patience, care, mindfulness, modification, 
and commitment are all necessary and can be applied to any mile marker on your journey. Number six, kinder self-awareness is the key to breaking free from the inner critic and the external world that strokes our fears and anxieties that we're never safe, never good enough, or never have enough. Number seven, we are all born innocent and worthy of love. Number eight, your mind is a garden. Your thoughts are the seeds. You can grow flowers or you can grow weeds. Number nine, self-acceptance is greater than self-esteem. Self-acceptance paves the way for self-love. And number 10, fulfilling our needs and wants is an act of self-love that lifts our spirits. It's a key to happiness that calms and revitalizes us. to share encouragementology with a friend who needs to know they are not alone in this journey of self-discovery, you can visit encouragementology.com or anywhere you stream your content to receive this episode and all others. Follow us on Facebook for additional encouragement throughout the week. So I challenge you, ready your soil by taking time to cultivate self-love. Plant your seeds, wants, needs, and desires firmly with a commitment to make yourself a priority. Enjoy your harvest, a true reflection of your soul. I know you can do it. Thank you for listening to Encouragementology with Kendall Boyson, where we find positive ways to handle some of life's challenges. Someone's through until the path was clear.